Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Welcome back to the Operator Podcast. Uh, I am Robert J. O'Neill. Before I mentioned going to the Mike Murphy Museum in Long Island, New York, and I would recommend going to see that if you can. The Mike Murphy Museum is obviously named after Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Um, he was the Navy SEAL, the first sailor awarded the Medal of Honor since Vietnam. He was in the fight that was depicted in the book and the movie Lone Survivor, which was when four Navy SEALs were inserted into a valley in eastern Afghanistan in the Konar province, uh, four snipers were inserted. They had a quick reaction force and an assault team. They were going after a guy by the name of Ahmad Shah, who was a bad dude, Taliban leader. The four-man team that included Murphy uh, was ambushed. Marcus Luttrell was there, the lone survivor. Danny Dietz and Matt Axelson. And uh, during a horrible gunfight, everybody was shot, everybody was hurt. They were to the point where they were actually, they were, they were shooting, moving, and communicating, which is the three keys to what you do as Navy SEALs, but they were getting hit, and they were to the point of, of jumping off of cliffs, uh, fighting for each other, fighting for the guy next to them. And in and, and some gunfights, gun it gets so bad that you're, you're not fighting for, you know, liberty, freedom, and apple pie. You're fighting for the guy next to you. And it got to that point, and, and they couldn't get air support because of the, they couldn't get communications with, with the, uh, the base, and the mountains were so so bad that uh, you just couldn't make communications. There was no line of sight anywhere. Uh, Murphy made the call to he was going to send himself out into the middle because uh, he had a, what's what's called an Iridium telephone. It's a non secure line, but you can make a, a phone call. And he actually gave Marcus the rest of his magazines, knowing he's going to die, but he had to do it in order to get help to get a quick reaction force in there. He ran out to the middle of the field as he was getting hit. He he, he made the call. Uh, to base and was saying, you know, we need this. My guys are getting ripped apart and all that stuff. And and what what uh, was said later was his last words were, "Roger that, thank you." And then he was killed on the mountain. And then and then, uh, quick reaction force came in. Uh, they were shot down, killing all eighteen guys uh, uh, on board. And sorry, it was sixteen guys. Uh, eight Navy SEALs, eight Army Special Operators. Michael Murphy was inevitably awarded uh, the Medal of Honor. So his museum is in. Long Island. I went out there to, to to see that, and it was quite a quite a place. I saw. I met his. You know, not met. I met with his father, Dan Murphy, his, his mom Maureen. It's a museum that everybody needs to seal to see. And there's a seal museum also in Fort Pierce, Florida, that I'm going to go see. I've never been to, but I'm I'm going to check it out. So, um, Mike Murphy 
also had a Navy ship named after him. It's the USS Mike Murphy, and it is a, it's a destroyer. It's an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer. And I'm going to get a little bit into the way the Navy works. There's, there's designations for ships, and a, a destroyer is a DDG. So DDG, DD stands for destroyer. NG means guided, so it's a de- uh, destroyer guided got guided missiles. It's a destroyer, and we don't call them destroyers because we ran out of names. It's a destroyer because it's a destroyer. It's a uh, it's the sixty seventh, sorry, sixty second ship of this class. Uh, ships are named after people, events, states of the union, things like that. This is named after Arleigh Burke. It's Arleigh Burke destroyer. The 62nd one named after Arleigh Burke. Arleigh Burke is an admiral, a four-star admiral who distinguished himself in World War II and Korea. And he was the chief of naval operations, um, which is the senior Navy guy. And he's, on, he's one of the, uh, the, joint, the, the board of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, he worked for Presidents Eisenhower and Kennedy. So Arleigh Burke class destroyer. Which is a, it's a it's a bad bad ship. It's a destroyer, and it's built around this weapon. It's called the uh, the Aegis Combat System, the ACS. It's built around it, and the Aegis Combat System is is uh, it 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 it's, it tracks enemy, it tracks aircraft, it tracks submarines. Uh, it, it basically, it's going to find out where you are, and it's going to crush you. And it's called Aegis. This is pretty cool. Aegis is from Greek mythology, and Aegis is is a word for a shield. So this is a shield that protected Zeus. And it was worn by Athena. And I just think that's badass. Aegis weapon system. It's, uh, so it'll track and guide weapon systems, destroy enemy targets. And one, a couple of the, of the uh, part of the Aegis combat system is the Aegis weapon system, which is the vertical launch system. And if you've ever been on a Navy ship, which you probably haven't, but some people have been, families get on there, you get to walk around them, tours. Uh, the, the, the vertical launch system is a rapid-file m- missile launcher that does just that. It, it rapidly fires missiles at you. And this is some serious stuff. You've probably seen it on TV. Whenever they, uh, they, they show wars that we seem to start, you'll see a ship launching out of this. Very, very cool, especially at night. It's a hell of a fireworks show uh, for, for the Navy to see it when they're, they're underway. And then one, one of the systems that I like is the, uh, the, the phalanx failing something like that club uh, close-in weapon system it's called the uh, the close-in weapon system called the sea whiz and every ship has a sea whiz on it and basically this thing looks like some people on the ship actually call it r2d2 the uh, the little droid from star wars it looks like r2d2 because that's where they keep the uh, all the complex stuff and, and the sea whiz is like a gatling gun it shoots uh 22 millimeter rounds uh, it's called a 22 millimeter vulcan cannon and so there's six barrels and it spins around and it shoots when it started out the sea it's designed to shoot down anything uh if a missile's coming at you it can it can track it find it and blast it not only to the point of where it shoots off the missile uh components it needs to hit the ship it'll it hits it in a way that even the stuff that comes off this supersonic missile, hopefully cybersonic or hypersonic, but we haven't figured that out yet. It shoots off parts of these missiles so that not only does it destroy the missile, it doesn't allow the projectiles to hit the ship and, and damage it. I mean, it's happened before in training and stuff like that. And people have been hurt and killed by projectiles that come off it. It will shoot down enemy aircraft. It'll shoot down fighters. It, it, it's bad to the bone. The first ones would shoot 3,000 rounds a minute which is insane. It sounds like a dragon. It's a Gatling gun like you see in the old school westerns where the dude's cranking it, and every time one of the barrel goes around, it shoots one. It's pretty cool. And the new ones, now I think 
and keep in mind, they're not telling me everything. There's the, uh, the Navy, the CIA, the military, Army, Marine Corps. They're all good at telling you stuff, but it might be better. Like they won't tell you how fast a ship goes. That's classified because you don't need. Like there, I remember there's a there's a a poster. It was a spoof before memes were, were even a thing with an aircraft carrier, and a dude was water skiing behind it and people were laughing at oh look at that the the someone's skiing behind an aircraft carrier you couldn't do that well actually you could because a carrier pretty much goes as fast as a speedboat no one knows it when we actually started that started when we engaged in the first gulf war in in the early 90s the 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 carriers and these ships they're all part of a it's called a battle group and it's designed around an aircraft carrier and a battle group has these ships i'm about to talk about they have the destroyers they have the cruisers they have frigates that are smaller submarines and every every ship in that battle group is designed to protect the carrier because that's where the command and control is that's where the admiral is that's where the captain you know the 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 the, the guy who runs the show when we started when we got into desert shield it was called when iraq if you can imagine they were causing problems they invaded kuwait and we got into a fight with them when the carriers went over there they outran the battle group like they were ahead of everyone because they knew they had to get to what we call the ditch which is the suez canal which is a a canal in egypt that you go through the mediterranean sea you go down to suez i've actually been in the suez on a on a a carrier the uss kennedy Uh, you go through that and then they rolled around to the the either you can call it the Persian Gulf or Persian Gulf or the Arabian Gulf, depending on which side you want to piss off. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun to play that game if if if, if anyone has, has a sense of humor. Now the DDG, the destroyer, and again the new ones are uh, DDG. Some were just DDs before that. They they didn't have guided missiles back in the day. There are some famous destroyers that you may not know. One famous destroyer I'm, I'm sure you've heard of was the USS Cole, and that's DDG-67. And that was right before, about a year before 9-11, around, uh, it was October 2000, the, the USS Cole was, was moored, or was it moored? It was docked. It was on the, uh, you know, I'm in the Navy, I screw some things up. It was, it was dockside or whatever, pierside, pierside, somewhere. It was in the Gulf of Aden in Yemen, and this is before... I mean, we knew about Al-Qaeda. We knew about bad guys. We knew about um, Osama bin Laden. But the USS Cole was in there, and two suicide bombers were sent in a boat up to it. When you, when you go in, in port, different places, there are different ships, different vendors, people helping the ship out because you have a crew on the ship to maintain it. And it's not unusual for ships to, to show, or little boats to show up. But this one came up, and there were two guys on the front of this small boat. And I'm talking like a little dow, which is a small boat. And it came up to it. They sort of stood at attention, their version of attention, and, and yelled, God is greater, Allahu Akbar, and they detonated it. Now, these two guys were, were in Al-Qaeda, and they were actually sent. The two masterminds behind this were guys by the name of Ayman al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden. And they hit the side of this ship. This is a year before 9-11, give or take. And there were 17 sailors. They have they were killed, and it had because it happened to be, it was time for it was chow time, which is one of the best times in the navy. You're eating, and and they think they they hit right by the galley, and the galley is where you eat on a navy ship. 17 sailors were killed immediately. Now, if you if you look at the USS Cole, you, and if you, if you if you look it up, it's online. There's a big hole in the side of the ship, but. You wouldn't think it's that big of a deal because the ship doesn't seem like it's trouble. Inside, the crew is doing what we call damage control. 
And, and damage control is anything you need to know how to do to keep the ship alive. There are certain things on a Navy ship, on a submarine, that can be catastrophic. Uh, fires on a ship. You better know how to put out a fire. There are different classes of fire, things like that. There's, there's anything from, from radiological warfare, chemical warfare, nuclear, God forbid, and people need to know how to clean it, how to, how to keep it afloat. And this ship was hit, and it should have sunk. Now, they're in port, so the 17 sailors died. More people could have died if it sunk, because you don't the, the ships are divided into different parts, and you can cut them off. There are waterproof doors. You cut them off to keep them from sinking. People have been trapped. Like uh, guy, There are still sailors in Pearl Harbor uh, at, uh, on, on, uh, on ships that sunk because they couldn't get out. And they, they, they will only allow military divers near it because it's, it's, um, it's a memorial. It's a grave. You know, it's a cemetery. And so there's still people in those. So, so when this ship got hit, you got to figure these guys are, are rolling around. They're probably going to hit like uh, Dubai and Bahrain. They're looking forward to liberty because they crossed. Uh, I think, they, well, this ship was from the West Coast. They crossed the Pacific. So they're thinking about the Philippines and Thailand. All of a sudden, boom, they get hit in port. Now there are people on board. There was actually one guy that I met who was, I think, a hull technician. I went to a school before I was at SEAL Team 6 on damn neck annex of uh, Naval Air Station Oceana. And that's where, Dev, that's where SEAL Team 6 is. And I was going through a course, and this hull technician, was, he was on the, the ship, the USS Cole, and he was telling me that he was surprised how a lot of people didn't know what to do. And he was running around. They were up for days and weeks doing everything they could, everything from pumping the water out to sealing off certain watertight Hatches rescuing people, pulling, and and he told the story. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm a Navy SEAL. What what do these guys know? This guy told this story, and you could see the emotion because they're at war. This is before 9/11. Now the Navy's at war. These sailors are at war. These dudes that, you know, we make fun of uh, the 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 little tie they wear in the Navy whites, and and we, we they have a, a, on the dress blues. And I'm I'm a sailor, so I can say this. There's 13 buttons on your dress blues if you're an E6 and below. And uh, we would always joke and say that is 13 different times that you can say no, <laughs> stuff like that. But now all of a sudden they're fighting Al Qaeda, and they're defending the USS Cole. So that was a destroyer, DDG six seven. One other, uh, another famous destroyer uh, is is the USS. The, it's called the Sullivans. This is a very very cool story, and there's a lot of inspiration behind the story. Uh, the, 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 the USS Sullivan is, is a DD, so it's DD-537, and uh, I'm going to look this up, too, because I'm, I'm sure they're going to keep this name in there. It's a Fletcher-class Fletcher destroyer. So it's named after five brothers of Irish descent, the Sullivans, and they were George, Frank, Joe, Matt, and Al, and they were 20 to 27 years old, and they all, they, they all this is World War II, 1942. They all agreed to go in together as long as they could serve together. As long as all five get on the same duty station, they're all going to do it. And at the time, the, the military didn't really care for this. They don't want a lot of potential next of kin to be serving together, but they weren't really enforcing it. It's 1942. We're in World War II. You know, we got bombed at Pearl Harbor a year before that, so they're like, yeah, cool. So they were assigned to the USS Juno, which is a ship that was involved in uh, Guadalcanal, which is the Pacific Theater, huge fight, Navy big time involved. The Pacific Theater was was big for the Navy because you got all kinds of famous battles, the Battle of Midway, the Battle of Corsica. Guadalcanal, uh, Marines were on, on land. There's, there's naval gunfire air support going in. There are 
Navy planes fighting Japanese planes. Uh, um, kamikazes, you know, they were doing suicide bombings before it was cool like it is today, ramming their planes with, with warheads, you know, after taking a shot of sake, uh, uh, all kinds of anti-aircraft stuff and, and subs. So the USS Juno that the Sullivans were on was hit by, um, it was hit by a, a torpedo from a sub. Now, a lot of these ships do get hit and they don't sink right away, but this was hit in November 1942, and it was forced to withdraw. A, a number of ships have been hit by a bunch of different things, and they're leaving. They're, they're going to go back to an island, obviously not there. They're, they're going to an island near the Solomon Islands for repairs. The, the, the Sullivan brothers are on it, and uh, on their way back, they had a, a, a modified fleet going back to get repaired. They got hit again by a, by a torpedo from a Japanese torpedo, and this one the story goes that it was hit in the magazine of the ship, and the magazine is where you keep all the weapons. That's where we keep the bombs, whatever we have. And it, it hit and it exploded really quickly. So it, it, it got blown to hell, and the ship was going down. Now, there's, um, there, there are certain rules of tactical command. Everywhere you go, when you're on the ground, whoever has the best tactical sense will be in charge of whatever's going on in the navy in the fleet they will call that they're going to call that the senior officer afloat senior officer present afloat the sopa and so he's in charge of the whole thing so the guy that was in charge was captain gilbert hoover and he was the the CEO. So he's a captain in 06. He is the CEO of the US I remember the story he was the CEO of the USS Helena and I know how to say that right because it's the Helena, not the Helena, because Helena is the capital of Montana, and I'm from Montana. But and actually, uh, Gilbert Hoover was actually instrumental, I guess, in the nuclear program, like inventing the nuclear bomb, which is awesome because you know we don't kill enough of each other. Let's make nukes. So Gilbert Hoover was there. Now he was on a ship. The Helena was also hit, and they're going back. And I wasn't there. This is 1942, but they're steaming as fast as they can. And he saw it get hit, and. He made the decision, well, no one could have survived that. We're going to keep going. And so they left. So they, they, rolled, they rolled out. They left the ship. They let the Juno sink, the Sullivans on board. No one can live, says Hoover. Turns out 100 of them did. So 100 guys lived off the Juno. And guess what? Now they're in the Pacific and they're in the water. So he went back to the ship in order to prepare his ship. And he's, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they didn't want to send anyone back, any boats, any ships to look for survivors. To me... I think you're doing it. I think you, you do it. I think you got to go back to check for your guys. But I was never in World War II, and I don't know what that combat was like. So he made the call, his call. He's a CO, senior officer, president of float. They did send a B-17, which is a bomber, and it, it went over to look, and it spotted, it spotted guys in the water. So there are dudes out there, Navy sailors, and they're in the deep water in the Pacific, just got shot down. There's God knows what's going on out there. However, because they're at war and we don't have the kind of satellite communications or crypto stuff to encrypt what we're saying, they were they were under orders to maintain radio silence because you don't you got guys every everyone back and forth different language talking in code like the way that in World War II we would hire Native Americans to speak their authentic native language because the Japanese couldn't didn't just awesome stories like very cool heroes so this B seventeen saw them. But they couldn't say we got guys in the water because they have radio silence. So they had to go back several hours later, and they had to make an official report. And again, we don't have email. We don't have computers. They, they, you know, we might have typewriters, but uh, they, they, they do the paperwork to say, hey, we got, a, we got about 100 guys in the water. 
because there's so much going on, the only way to communicate with each other is paperwork. This paperwork got lost in, in piles of paperwork, and they didn't find out about it. So uh, this is like seven days, and they found it. And they sent, they sent, um, I don't, it's a, it's one of those, um, it's a flying boat. You might have seen them, the planes that can take off out of the water, land in the water. They sent a flying boat. Out of the hundred, ten guys lived. So the rest of the people, they died, imagine this, they died of exposure, sunburns, um, thirst, the elements, hunger. I hate to say this, Sharks. There are sharks that will attack you out there. You get sharks in the middle of the ocean that are hungry, and they're going to eat. Um, they recovered the 10 guys, and the debrief that they got, and this is the Sullivans, they said that Frank, Joe, and Matt died instantly. They were near the magazine. They died instantly. And they said the day after, they did manage to get, there's some, some seawater-activated lifeboats. So some, they weren't like, not all of them were out there swimming. Some were in the lifeboats. They said the day after um, Frank, Joe, and Matt died, they said Al drowned after that. So they're all dead, and they said... They said, and this is a sad story, they said George went crazy because George knew all four of his brothers were dead. And they said because of the elements, because we're never going to get rest of the district. Can you imagine being at sea, lost at sea? I can't imagine being shipwrecked. Yeah, and, and they said he, he went over the side. They, the, the story was they went over the side. He went over the side and they never saw him again. And so all five of the Sullivans um, were killed. They actually, and, and, and they weren't allowed to tell anybody. No one could tell. You're not allowed to say what's going on at war, but, but the family back home, I guess, knew they hadn't heard from the, the brothers, and so they started raising questions, and then they, they were told that all five were, were dead. And that is now, and, and there is a, there's a policy now that's pretty much enforced called the sole survivor policy, and that is during a time of peace, during a draft. You can only draft, we don't have a draft now, but you can only draft a certain amount of people, and you can only assign members of families to what we call hazardous duty and not together, and they enforce it now. And you'll notice that, like, the movie um, um, Saving Private Ryan is, is loosely based on the Sullivans because it shows the Ryan brothers that four of them were killed and they went after after one of the Ryans, and that's, that's kind of how it went down. And, and this is kind of neat, too. One of the... One of the founders of Microsoft, with some of his technology, it wasn't Bill Gates, it was another one, they, they actually found the wreckage of the Juno in 2018 off the Sullivan Islands. And that's just incredible. That, so that's, that's the kind of stuff they name destroyers after. So the Sullivans is awesome. And again, um, they're going to probably keep that name. They, they renamed Navy ships, which is just cool. Um, another destroyer, so obviously these are, these are named after admirals and, and, and wars and stuff like that. Another famous destroyer, not as famous as those two, is the, the USS Bainbridge, which is DDG-96. So it's a, it's a destroyer guided off the West Coast. It is named after a Commodore, Bainbridge, who served under six presidents back in the day. So he fought in the War of 1812 and the Barbary Wars. And the Barbary Wars were part of the reason that the U.S. Navy, which is older than the United States, by the way, was founded because of pirates in North Africa. You hear the Marine Corps hymn the, uh, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Tripoli's in, in Libya, and, and that's um, Bainbridge fought in that. And I'm talking old school Navy. Like, not only do we not have missiles, we're fighting with flintlock pistols and knives, and, and I'm sure people, you know, still have eye patches of wooden legs and cool shit like hooks on their hands and whatnot. Um, so named after Bainbridge, the reason the Bainbridge is famous, it was part of a part of a, a, a small battle group when we went after and rescued 
um, Captain Richard Phillips from Somali Pirates. So that's kind of cool. If you th- so the 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 be- we you know we we were told about the mission on Good Friday, April tenth, two thousand nine, and I was in Virginia Beach at my daughter's Easter tea party on her you know uh, at her preschool. She's four years old. It's a Friday. It's a long weekend, and I was going through line in. We had it set up for. We're feeding our four-year-olds like shit that four-year-olds eat. I had a pink plate in my hand, and we got a call, and they said that um, Captain Richard Phillips had been taken by Somali pirates, and you guys are going to go get him now. And this is that's also my birthday, April tenth. Good call. Uh, and so we we had never done this before. SEAL Team Six. We were designed to rescue American hostages at sea, but we'd never done it in over what's that twenty-eight years. Never been done, and. We'd always said we could do it, but we never did. And we got, I got the call at uh, Rolling Wood Elementary School, made, a, made my way to Damn Neck. 15 hours and 46 minutes after we got the call, we had a full head count in the Indian Ocean. And then we got on some of the ships, the, the USS Boxer, the USS Bainbridge. And, and uh, from the back, from the stern of the USS Bainbridge, three Navy SEAL snipers took shots and killed the pirates. And we rescued... Richard Phillips, and that was that was actually just cool that mission because um, I have a, a motto that complacency kills. That sometimes you'll have a tendency to say the worst thing you can say when you're trying to run a team. Well, this is the way we've always done it. You got to figure we had never done that ever in over 28 years. It was a long weekend. Um, we've never done this. Those snipers they didn't need to have their guns sighted in for the most difficult shots of their lives. But their guns were sighted in for the most difficult shots of their lives because they were prepared. Complacency kills. Complacency is caused by success, and we didn't get um, we didn't get complacent. And it's very very cool to think that USS Bainbridge was the ship because Admiral or sorry Commodore Bainbridge fought pirates from the from the stern of that ship. We killed pirates, so that's the USS Bainbridge. I want to take a second to talk about something that's very important to everybody. And that's a good night's sleep. You don't need to be a combat veteran to toss and turn at night. You can be concerned about something that didn't go well today or worried about something that might not go well tomorrow. And uh, one good way to get a good night's sleep is through Ghostbed, who's been a loyal sponsor to the Drinking Bros podcast for over five years now. They're very, very comfortable. They last forever, and they're made in the USA. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty, sometimes a 25-year warranty, and you can actually try them out for 101 straight nights, and if you don't like them, you can return them. No harm, no foul. The best part about Ghostbed is the cooling technology, so if you're sleeping in a hot place, it can cool you down. It offers uh, bundles for everything you need, so you, you don't even really need to think about it. Just choose from their four mattresses and then pick your bundle. So whether you just need a mattress and a frame or... You want it all like they have cooling pillows and sheets. You can get the best bang for your buck. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base or 30% off everything if you use the code Bros at ghostbed.com forward slash Bros. Okay, uh, I need to backtrack a little bit. This is my podcast, so I need to tell... Sort of my part of that story. Um, I'm assuming you may not have read my book or, or whatever. This is my podcast. I'm not going to be interviewing myself, so I need to tell my parts of the Captain Phillips rescue because there's so much more 
to combat than just the running around yelling and go 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 and, and shooting people and, and, and shooting people in the face like like a lot of the t-shirts on Instagram like to say. There's a human element involved. There's families involved. I mentioned I was at my daughter's Easter tea party when we got the call. There's a code that comes across and I had a set amount of time to get to where I was going. And that means you have to get to where you're going, get a full head count. And you, we're, we need to be what's called wheels up in a certain amount of time. I'm not going to say wh what that time is, but this means you need to get, in our case, I think it was 103 people. You need to get to where you're going, get a, you know, the, the bosses where they need to be so they can call certain commanders, certain generals, certain civilian uh, leaders, while the, the sled dogs, the enlisted men, and like the troop commanders, the chiefs, master chiefs, get all the stuff on certain uh trucks to go to the airport you got to keep in mind now there's so much going on behind this too the boats had better be ready these big boats that we take these speed boats which means they need to have all of the mechanic stuff done all the fuel ready to go the air guys the the riggers and they need to make sure the parachutes are rigged and loaded and there's got to be a jump master inspection whatever they do if you can imagine throwing these huge cigarette boats out of a plane flying you know there's a lot that goes with it and then they better open um, and we got to make sure the stuff is ready, and we got to make sure the guys are there, full head count, who's where. And this goes down to making sure your bags are packed, make sure you're ready. Uh, there's a sign above where we, it's called a muster, where we group up every morning at SEAL Team 2, and I think it puts it fittingly. It says, are you ready for war today? You should be. Meaning your bags better be packed, and that's everything from what are you going to wear on the flight over do you have extra socks and foot powder? What are you going to do when you're bored, when you're at a forward staging base? Do you have something to entertain yourself? Do you have, we had, you know, I, I would bring a cribbage board cards and some books to read, stuff like that, because I can trade books out, things like that. But then all your, uh, your, your magazines the, that you put in your gun better work, your bullets better be fresh. Your gun should be cleaned. It better be cleaned. Is it in a waterproof bag? How are you going to do it? A lot of stuff needs to be ready because there's a certain amount of time. So I'm leaving my daughter's Easter tea party, I have a set amount of time to get to where I'm going, but I'm ahead of schedule. And there's a 7-Eleven outside of the base where SEAL Team 6 is. So I stop at the 7-Eleven. Again, don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to know how to handle what's called contingencies because the only time the perfect plan ever works is in the planning room. Something might happen and something usually does happen. It rarely goes how it's planned. So I stop at the 7-Eleven with a plan. I'm going to get as much cash as I can out of the ATM. I'm going to get a log of Copenhagen and a carton of cigarettes. The reason I'm doing this is because I had been told that, um, you know, we might not end up where we want to go. I'd been told that before by my bosses. If we, I'm going to be jumping. I'm going to be the lead jumper today uh, on the east coast of Africa, but we might not end up where we want. If I land somewhere, what we would call a semi-permissive environment, meaning they're not quite the enemy, I might be able to barter with the locals. So I got cash. I might be able to barter with the locals with the cash. Buy my way to safety. I might be able to barter again with the, the tobacco, the Copenhagen, the cigarettes. You know, I, I might just have cash and cigarettes somewhere. So I'm in line to get my stuff. And this is early in the morning. This is, this is you know, I just took my daughter to, to preschool. So it's early in the morning. There's a guy in front of me at the 7-Eleven. There's one guy in front of me who's not in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. And this guy is a blue-collar dude, a big guy. He works for a living. He's a construction guy. He's a lineman or something. He works on the power lines. He just finished the night shift or something because he's not in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. One of the things he's buying is a USA Today. It's a newspaper. And 
the headline of the newspaper is about the mission we're trying to go do. And this guy's all patriotic, and he slammed it down on the, on the counter in front of the guy working, and he kind of announced out loud with his last bit of energy for the day, man, I sure wish someone would do something about this. I'm standing behind him, and it's almost ironic because it's not quite real to me yet. And I tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around, and I go, buddy, pay for your shit, and we will. And he's staring at me. And I said, I'm not even kidding. Like, the national security timeline is squarely on your very broad shoulders, my man. And he kind of gets it. He knows where he is. He's right in front of Damneck. And uh, he, he moves out of the way. And, um, and I get my stuff. And uh, I leave. And I got to work on time. All my guys got to work on time. Now we have a set amount of time to take off. Now, the, the, the riggers had rigged the boats. The Seabees had driven, you know, they've, they've linked up the, the trucks to the boats. They've driven them over to the Naval Air Station, Oceana. They're, they're loading them with the, with the boats' mates and whomever, the, again, Seabees. And uh, they're loading them on the C-17s. Keep in mind, all the moving parts here. They flew up from Pope Air Force Base, these huge Air Force jets. They're putting the stuff on there. The riggers already had all of our chutes packed, every chute for every operator to jump with. They also brought extras. They brought extra parachutes in case, you know, some asshole hits one and pops off in the plane. Fine, put on a new one. They brought tandem rigs for tandem masters. We might need to jump more stuff in. We got guys, myself included, who can jump tandems. We got a couple out of the squadron. And, um, you know, we're doing, a, we, we, we don't need to put on our parachutes yet because we got like a 16-hour flight. So we get in there, and and I like I said, we have we have told we have sold SEAL Team Six as a team that can do this in a certain amount of time. We will be wheels up at a shower, whatever they call it. I don't know, some hour, with a, a letter in front of it. And we're at fifty nine. Like we're taxiing both lanes, and I remember looking at the commanding officer over there, and he's looking at his watch, and this is a, uh, this is on him. We've been selling it since since 1980, and I remember we took off at 59 minutes. It was awesome. So now we're taking off and we're going over. We don't know what the hell we're going to do. All we know is the USS Bainbridge, a destroyer, is towing an orange lifeboat, and there are pirates inside and Captain Phillips is inside. Now, we'd never done this. We had thought we thought of everything, everything imaginable, from submersibles to cruise liners. How do we get hostage off a yacht? Um... For years, we were thinking outside. Nobody ever thought of an orange, fully engulfed plastic lifeboat from a merchant marine ship being towed by a badass Arleigh Burke-class destroyer. That's where we're at. And now, how? what are we going to do? So we decided, here's, here's what it's like being smart. I hate when people say something like, well, you don't need to know. You know you're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. That's bullshit. Tell your people what, what they need. They need to know everything. If your people know what they're doing and why they're doing it, they're going to be better. Hopefully you have people that you've taught them how to do their jobs and they're not going to be irresponsible with it. Teach them how to do everything. So we kind of went around of every, to everybody and said, think of something, anything. Everybody here, including the newest guy. There. Now, keep in mind, the newest guy at SEAL Team 6 has been a Navy SEAL for a long time. He's not. We wouldn't even call them new guys. We call them newer guys because they've been to war. They, they've been around. They're Navy SEALs. Um, but now they're at SEAL Team 6, which not everybody gets to. And we're having them come up with plans. Everyone came up with plans, and we were everything from from ram the boat with our boat. Maybe they'll flip. We can swim, grab Phillips. Uh, I thought our plan was best. My team's plan was we're gonna. We figured that these guys aren't terrorists. The pirates are not terrorists. They're criminals. And it had been a lucrative business because they take these fast boats, they climb the ships, and because of uh, just geniuses, lawyers that come up with rules of engagement, you're not allowed to carry weapons on a merchant ship. Good job again, guys. Wow. If you want to lose anything, 
get lawyers and politicians involved, they will fuck you. So they couldn't bring ships. The Somali pirates knew they could roll up, take the ship, not hurt anybody, keep the crate. Eventually, someone's going to pay the insurance. Once they did, they turned them all over. Bam. Services rendered. Lucrative business. But these guys now are being towed by a Navy destroyer. They've got helicopters buzzing them. They're out of cot, which is their drug. It's like a speed. They chew it. It's like a, like a tobacco-looking thing, but it's like a, apparently an awesome drug. They're out of that. They're thirsty. They're seasick. They realize they might have fucked up. They just want to go home. So the plan we came up with that I thought was brilliant is give them radios that they can, they can make communications to the village elders of their tribe, which will give them radios. They can talk to each other, and we will tell them, we're going to drive you in there. You guys keep talking. We're going to drop you off. You're going to give us him. Done. That's, a, that's our plan. However, as we bring him in, the sun's going to be going down. We're going to jam the communications. It's about three miles away, and it's dark. Now we're going to roll up about three miles, and we're going to drop him off there. They, the communications are jammed. They don't know that they're not in front of their village, and we're going to be there. My team's there. They get out. We're armed. They're armed. This is going to go a certain amount of ways. You're either going to die, you're going to give them us, or we're going to take them. So that was our plan. I thought it was brilliant. Our plan was never to kill the pirates. We, we were not there to kill the pirates. We were there to rescue the hostage, however we can do it. So unlike the movie, we didn't put snipers on the back of the Bainbridge to kill them. We put them there. When we were attempting, when we were about to attempt a rescue, we told the snipers, watch them make sure nothing unsafe happens. And that's what the snipers were doing. They were making sure nothing unsafe happened. Something unsafe happened. They were doing mock executions on Richard Phillips, putting gun to his head and um, pulling the trigger, nothing in there, and, and this is a bad situation. The three remaining pirates on board showed themselves at once, and the sniper shot. And there was no three, two, one, execute. These are professional fucking snipers. Now, here's what I love about these snipers is their guns were sighted in. Like I mentioned earlier, they were just ready to shoot and they took the shot. Um, here is a funny story because I, you know, I was involved in some pretty big missions. And uh, obviously the Bin Laden raid is a big one that people want to know who did what and where. I was getting coffee when um, Captain Phillips was rescued. I was in the chief's mess. I was a new chief in the Navy. And on ships, they have a thing called the chief's mess. And everybody knows the chief's run the Navy. You got the senior enlisted chief, senior chief, master chief. I was a chief. I'm in there bullshitting with other chiefs. And I, we got a message that said, uh, we got them. And so a bunch of dumb chiefs are in there like, you know, texting or whatever back like, got who? I'm like, dude, we just got them. And they got them. The sniper just got um, Captain Richard Phillips. One of the training stars we had on this, I was the lead jumper for that mission. Um, so when you're training, assume, you know, Assume shit's going to go different. We have things called training scars, meaning something that you do in training, you kind of make it easier on yourself or you do something for safety regulations that you don't normally do. We've never done this jump for real. One of our training scars was there'll be safety boats because we know we did this a lot. We would jump off the coast of North Carolina and Virginia, and it's the ocean, but it's not Somalia. And uh, because we're the Navy and, and nobody outranks safety, we would have things called safety boats out there. And they, what they would do is they would spin in circles so you can they make a, a wake. You can see the white foam on, like, the corners. We call it a drop zone. So when, as a lead jumper, I'm the guy that leads them in. I would see the, um, I would see the white corners. Oh, there's my drop zone. Oh, there's the boats I need to hit, and I would land nicely. When I jumped out, so my, my plan is actually in front. 
but it's but below the second plane. My job is to jump out of this one. They're all going to follow me. I got to pick these guys up and get under canopy and then find the boats. When I jumped out, I, you know, do my count. I think I did a six count to get lower and we're only jumping at like 7,000 feet, something like that. We jump out. I pull. I got to turn left, pick them up. And now I look down. Guess what? We're in Somalia. There's no safety boats. There's no traffic. There's no dudes out there doing whatever. I can't find them. I don't know where the boats are. Now, I'm in a position where I need to lead these guys in. I can't see where we're supposed to land. Now, I'm concerned about that, but I can't freak out these guys. Them worrying about me not finding the boats doesn't matter. I need to pretend I do, so I'm doing this stupid shit like leg kicking for turns. Like I think I remember looking down thinking, oh, that's got to be a boat. I don't know. That's just a whale shark, something like that. What happened was we were doing a daytime jump. We didn't do a nighttime jump. I don't believe in jumping into the ocean at night because if you lose someone at night, in the ocean, you're probably never going to find them. Even in the daytime, it's hard to find people. You know, when we got all super cool back in, in like, right around 2000 or 2002 or something like that, everyone started getting the new camouflage stuff, the digital camis. Marines got kick-ass digital digis, and the Army made different ones. Air Force did. The Navy made blue camis. And I remember thinking, so let me get this straight. You want to match the water. <laughs> like, when you fall in, you want to – I think there should be orange – non-camouflage with uh, seawater-activated smoke. Anyway, I couldn't find them, and the reason was because the sun was glaring. Once I turned, I did see the four boats. And you don't need to jump at night because this is a big ocean. You can go over the horizon where they can't even see. You land there and then just drive into them. So that was it. So we landed there. Uh, I actually managed to land right in a big jellyfish, which sucked. Uh, But then we all got on there. So, I mean, the cool thing about it, we never done it. We sold it. But 15 hours, 46 minutes, we had 103 people in the Indian Ocean. And then on Easter Sunday, we rescued Richard Phillips. And we learned that not only when Navy, Navy SEAL snipers kill you, they'll kill you in the morning on Easter, which they did. So that was the, um, that's the, another famous aircraft carrier called the uh, Arleigh Burke class. Now, the next one, the newest class of destroyer is a really bad motherfucker. It's called the Zumwalt class. And it's named after, and uh, this is a, a cool-sounding guy, his name was Admiral Elmo Bud Zumwalt, and he was the 19th CNO, the youngest chief of naval operations ever, and he was uh, distinguished in Vietnam. He's actually famous. F- this is really cool as a very senior flag officer. He is known for making life underway better, life at sea better for enlisted, because enlisted guys kind of get the shaft underway. They don't really care about you. Your job is to make the ship run. You're just there. Officers are upstairs eating in the wardroom with like shiny crystal and 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 silverware and shit like that. And we're downstairs enlisted guys doing whatever. He made it better at sea for enlisted and he was actually known for what they called easing racial tensions underway. And that's cool. Um it's kind of a one team one fight thing. I don't care who you're with in tight quarters like that, especially on a sub you're going to start to get pissed at each other. He actually, you know, he actually ran an unsuccessful bid. Bud Zumwalt ran an unsuccessful bid for Senate in Virginia. He didn't win it because why would we have a war hero elected to Congress when we can have career politicians like we do today? So they named the Zumwalt class, and these are the new ones. These are stealth, and they have all kinds of high-speed stuff, different keels, different bows of the ship, different points where, like, Apparently, 
if an enemy ship sees it on a radar, it's pretty much invisible, but when it gets close, they think it's like a fishing vessel, and all of a sudden, oh, it's a fucking destroyer. Awesome. And they, they, they named them, so these are uh, DDGs, Destroyer Guided Missiles. Uh, they named them, uh, DDG-100 is named the, the USS Zumwalt, named after Elmo Bud Zumwalt. There's uh, another one is, is, is uh, one DDG-1003 named the Lyndon B. Johnson. So basically, we named destroyers after bad motherfuckers. But the one I want to talk about is the DDG-1001, and that's named after Petty Officer Michael Monsoor. So here's something I want to talk about. After I finished BUDS, finished jump school, I went to SEAL tactical training, which is a long course about tactics where you're learning how to be a Navy SEAL. One thing that I realized there is that a lot of people dip tobacco. As soon as I got to the range, I started to dip. You know, you're at the range of dip when you finish a skydive, you dip when you go to a brief or a debrief, you dip. If you're giving the brief, chances are you dip. So I dipped tobacco. I was at the point of the ritual where even in Iraq and Afghanistan, I would wake up early so that I could eat breakfast quickly so I could have a dip. Pure ritual. The issue is, for almost 20 years, I was dipping tobacco. I love the ritual. I don't like the tobacco. So if you're dipping right now, I recommend trying Black Buffalo. It is a tobacco-free dip, and it's available in a few different flavors. Uh, some of them do have nicotine, and that'll come with a warning that tells you there's nicotine in it, but there's still no tobacco. And the other one, um, the other kind is just 100% ritual, zero tobacco, zero nicotine. It's made from food-grade products, plants, and it has the texture and the taste of the dip you love. If you're dipping now and you're looking for an alternative, I highly recommend that. This, this uh, Black Buffalo has won four-time Best New Products by third-party publications. Made in the USA for U.S. consumption. Born in the Midwest, raised in the South. It is, like I said, made in the U.S. Very proud supporters of the U.S. military, first responders, anyone that dips. I highly recommend this. Check out blackbuffalo.com and use the promo code THEOPERATOR, one word, and get 15% off of your first purchase, and I highly recommend it. It's named after Petty... Uh, DDG-1002 is named after Petty Officer Michael Monsoor, who's a bad motherfucker. He was a Navy SEAL. He went through basic underwater demolition SEAL training in 2004. He was BUDS Class 250. He's, a, he's just a bad dude. He got assigned to SEAL Team 3, and he was in um, Task Unit Bruiser, which is famous in a few books. He worked with um, Chris Kyle, American Sniper. He was over there in the shit, and I, I didn't get to work with Mike Mansoor. I had been to Ramadi, not at the time he was there, but everyone I've spoken to, and I worked with guys at my squad in SEAL Team 6 that worked with Mike Mansoor, and just a just the salt of the earth, the best dude you ever want to work with. And in some, see, the, the, these, the, these Navy SEALs and Marines, they were really good about fighting alongside Marines, Army with tanks, infantry stuff, fighting in the streets of Ramadi in Iraq, which gets very, very hot. And he'd been in gunfights, Mike Mansoor, where he had uh, run through fire to grab, grab hit comrades and drag them through gunfires. Mike was actually awarded the Bronze Star with Valor on this deployment. He was also awarded the Silver Star medal which doesn't even get valid the silver star medal is awarded for what they say gallantry above all pay grades badass shit like that and then he got they got a gunfight in the daytime with some insurgents and he was with some army dudes and some seals and apparently they they got in a fight and they tried to get a better position on high ground they went to a rooftop and uh, a um a grenade was thrown onto the roof and it was going to 
it was going to hurt, kill, and maim everybody there. Mike Monsoor jumped on it. So he jumped on the grenade. He took the blast, and it killed him 30 minutes later. And for that, Mike Monsoor was awarded the Medal of Honor, which is the nation's highest award. I hope to get someone on here that worked with Mike Monsoor. That's a hell of a story. So that is the Zumwalt class. They're still working on it now. The Zumwalt class destroyer is so secretive that they've told us that um, they're not going to continue the program. They went back. The Mike Murphy, the, the Arleigh Burke class destroyer, was supposed to be the last destroyer of the Arleigh Burke class. They're going to move to the Zumwalt. But they, um, they had some issues with it. It's too expensive. <laughs> I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you absorb that. Our government said it was too expensive. You know, we, we got money to shit to Ukraine and everything else, but it's too expensive. And they did, apparently, the zoom wall at the DDG's 1000 actually, I guess, broke down in the Panama Canal, which is a man-made canal, separates North and, and North America, South America, somewhere in there in Central America, in Panama, if you can imagine that. It broke down somewhere. There's been issues at sea some sea trials, so they, they're saying they're not going to go back to the zoom wall. So that's, uh, those are destroyers. That's their name. So n- n- Navy ships, there's a very cool heritage. I always, I always got into the... the heritage, courtesies, customs, traditions. I thought it was always neat. Plus, um, if you're going to join the Navy, it's important to know that stuff just to advance. you got to take written tests to advance in the Navy. Even Navy SEALs had to do it for your race. Now, ships are named after after certain events. So there's different, there's different ships. I mentioned the aircraft carriers that are fast as hell, and they're the center of the battle group, and they have the aircraft on them. They're, they're aircraft carriers. They're usually named after presidents. They're usually named after famous battles or, or famous sites of, of, of aviation. And the way they're described, they're CV, which is carrier aircraft, um, which makes sense. And then there's CVN, which is carrier aircraft. Which it's nuclear-powered, and it's um, multi-mission, aircraft multi-mission, stuff like that. They can do all kinds of stuff. They have SEALs and some Marines, and they're in charge of the battle group, all kinds of good stuff. Um, Let's see. Uh, there's um, th- different ships. There's the Nimitz class, and there's a USS Nimitz, which is named after uh, Admiral Chester Nimitz, which is pretty cool. Nimitz is a great name. So obviously famous admiral, there's the Nimitz. And then we have carriers named after presidents. So we got the, uh, the Eisenhower, the Reagan, the George H.W. Bush, the Roosevelt, the Lincoln, the Washington, and then there's the Kennedy, obviously named after President Kennedy, and I need to segue into this. I actually did another deployment. My second deployment at SEAL Team 2 was on the USS Kennedy, which is a, an aircraft carrier. So I got to see, and and I know a lot of people don't get to see this, but if you're a patriot or just if you just think you're cool, I really think everybody should see flight operations on the deck of an aircraft carrier. It's just awesome, and obviously, it's the the jets taking off and la- taking off and landing. But you got to see you got to see the the crew, the enlisted crew working it, the uh, um, the wires, the lines they use to land on the tail hooks, the way they're talking. There's the air boss that cracked me up. The air boss is a senior aviator, and he's up. Um, up in the bridge or the, or the, the, the thing above the bridge is where you control the ship. There's another one above their flight ops, something like that. And all he does, in, he's, he's in the military, but he's not even using military terms. He's yelling at you. He's dropping F-bombs. You're a fucking idiot. What are you doing over there? Yelling at people. There's different color coats for you got the corpsman. You got the, the, the guys doing the shit, the awesome shit. And you just see this finely tuned machine. Uh, I was on the Kennedy. I got to see it. I actually landed on a carrier and took off on a carrier before. Very, very cool. Lots of different pilots. Pilots are awesome. We'll get into pilots. They're just so cool doing that stuff because, I mean, that carrier looks big. That is not a big runway. You got to be very precise. But these pilots get so good 
There's like three wires um, that they can pick, and these pilots will bet each other on which one they'll hit. I guess maybe they're not supposed to do that. That's the rumor I heard. One of my buddies was a, one of my buddies was an air, uh, my lift buddies was a, was an aviator, and they're just really cool guys. But I want to talk about our turn on the USS Kennedy. What Navy SEALs did at sea. We were on this, so this is 1999. I'm in a platoon on the USS Kennedy, so we're gonna go across, and basically we're gonna do interop operations with different different countries. Uh, different special forces, and we're going to sort of see the sights. We know we're going to go through the Suez Canal, which turned out to be awesome. We're going to see parts of of the Mediterranean and then parts of, you know, going around, like seeing Israel, going around Yemen, go, getting into the Middle East. Um, but we didn't have a lot to do. We had we had some space. We were able to, you know, watch movies, hang out, um, do some MMA workout. We lifted quite a bit. Um, we, uh, we got to Egypt. Which is, it's always fun to see stuff in person. We went to Egypt, and I remember thinking it's going to be so cool. Uh, the first, my first impression of Egypt was, <laughs> I remember the flies. The flies were everywhere. If you ever see any of those com those commercials where they're telling you to send money and you see the poor kid staring at you, wondering why the dude holding the camera didn't give him a sandwich. But you see the flies all over his face and crawling in his eyes, and, and you're, you're wondering, you know, why is he too weak? Why doesn't he just wipe his eyes? You know why? Because it doesn't matter. Because the flies are coming back. Just everywhere, it's it's horrific in some parts. That just put the flies. But we know we're going to see the sights. Now I'm on this deployment, and uh, I did get permission a while back to use these names. There's two seals you may have heard of: Drago, who's a Polish guy, and Jocko, who was one of our junior officers. And what we were doing there, Jocko came up with the idea on the Kennedy that every Navy SEAL, because Navy SEALs are known for running and swimming, he decided that every Navy SEAL needs to be able to bench press 300 pounds. That's kind of our gig. And we're like, why is that? And he said, well, he's a big dude. He goes, can you carry me if I get shot with all my gear and my gun? I'm like, no, that's a good point. Roger that. So I started working out with Drago. And you may have heard of Drago. If you look him up, he's there. He's been on podcasts. Drago's story is incredible. The least exciting thing Drago has ever done is become a Navy SEAL. And I'm going to get him on this podcast. Drago was born in Poland. Um, you know, and I'm talking communist Poland. This is like Iron Curtain shit. And uh, he was a political prisoner from the Russians. I heard most of his teeth are fake because they were kicked in. Um, just a like you, you don't want to talk politics. Don't. And by the way, for the younger people, if you see Drago, don't tell him you're a communist. He'll fucking kill you. So uh, he escaped. He became uh, like a world class kickboxer <laughs> after he got out and defected to the United States. Went to SEAL training with English being like his third language, he, he couldn't even, they, the instructors couldn't even understand him really when he was getting yelled at. And I'm convinced, having worked with Drago for many, many years, that his English has gotten worse. And he's just an awesome, just a big, uh, big heart, big, great laugh, just always down for anything. He's got, he's got fists like a damn gorilla. I remember one time with Drago in the workup for that platoon, we got in some sort of an argument at a bar in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And this is back in the day when we thought it was cool to fight people. I highly do not recommend fighting in any, anywhere. Don't fight people. It's not worth it. Walk away, buy them a drink, get out of it, whatever. We're, we get an argument with some dude, some tough farmer or whatever down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Drago starts an argument with them. They're going to throw down. They go outside to fight. Drago's first move, his go-to, was like a Chuck Norris roundhouse Roundhouse kick to the face. Like he didn't start with a jab or he didn't push. Drago kicked this guy in the face, knocked him out. So that's Drago. 
So Drago was there, um, and and Jocko had told us that we need to be benching, bench pressing 300 pounds. I had I couldn't bench press 300 pounds at the time, but we started working out. And because the acronym SEAL was sleep, eat, and lift instead of Sierra and land, we worked out all the time. We were hitting the supplements hard. We were eating well. Carriers, they have the chow hall pretty much open all the time. You can go get burgers. And like Jocko would say stuff like, here's the way to get to 300 pounds. Eat as much as you can, take a deep breath, and eat some more. So Drago and I got to a point where like our back workout started off with, we would do 10 sets of 10 pull-ups to warm up. And that's a lot of pull-ups. Doing 10 in a row is pretty legit anyways. We do 10 sets of 10, and we get in there and lift. Um, it was a kick-ass deployment. If you look up, I, it's actually on my Instagram page. We have a picture of Jocko re-enlisting Drago on the flight deck of the USS Kennedy. And Drago found the tightest pair of Catch Me, Fuck Me shorts he could wear. UDT shorts with no shirt. This big guy, 41 years old, re-enlisting in the USS Navy on the USS Kennedy. And that was cool. We uh, went through the ditch... Uh, through the, the Suez Canal, we got into the Persian slash Arabian Gulf, and our job was to do maritime interdiction operation, MEOs. And this is before 9-11, uh, so we're taking down ships that were smuggling, or boats that were smuggling dates, all this stuff, whatever. We we had these flats in Manama, Bahrain, so we didn't need to stay on the ship. We could actually go in there and stay in these apartments, uh, and we would go out in town. So we're, we're going out in town, probably not safe, but it's pre-9-11. Um, I went out one night, This was so this is the millennium. This is New Year's Eve 2000, and I didn't know this, or I didn't care, but there was a curfew. Everyone needed to be on base or in your flats where you live. You're not allowed to go out in town. I didn't know this, but I went out, and there was an Irish pub. If You'll notice anywhere you go, there's an Irish pub. I found an Irish pub, and it's full of people, and there's people from the airlines, Gulf Air, there's um there's a there's some Saudis in there and they're full dress and whites like Saudis would go to Bahrain and they would tell me they'd be in there drinking I'm like well, hey how how are you guys drinking I thought you guys weren't allowed to have alcohol and they would say well Allah's eyes do not see Bahrain my friend so I'm drinking with Saudis in their uniform probably Al Qaeda and no one is there <laughs> and I I'm like this is a kick-ass time I'm having a blast unsafe as shit don't do that and uh, and I went back. And to our flat, and I, it turned out that, um, hey, we're on lockdown. Where were you? And I'm like, oh, I was at the gym or, or something. I was getting a shave on base and, and a Sammy. I get in a sandwich, whatever. And then we turned out we had a party, and I have pictures of this craziness, and, and I'll post them later. But I have pictures. We had a New Year's Eve party on the Millennium in Bahrain. And it was I, – I, I'm not going to get into the stories of that, but that party was so good because everyone's locked on base. The only Americans out in town are at this apartment – and no one's at the bars, <clears throat> so the locals came there. The party was so good. I have pictures of it. Like, there's a picture of one of our, our tables, one of our um, coffee tables. It has, like, little panes of glass. There's one pane of glass that was shattered by someone's head, and people would walk by and set their drink down, not knowing there's not glass there. It would fall through. We have this table of all these glasses shattered underneath because people were setting it down. People almost died at this party. So we had a good time at that party. Then we went back out of the ship, and we took down... Um, there was a Russian tanker, the, the Russian tanker Volganev that was smuggling oil. We thought we were cool and shit. And uh, we, we launched from the Kennedy to a cruiser, which is another badass ship, a cruiser, and they're named after cities and whatnot. Uh, the USS Monterey, we went to that. And we did a takedown of a tanker, which we thought was high speed because it's pre-9-11 and no one's going to go to war anyway. This is the best thing ever. I was a sniper in the helicopter, and I was watching their movement. And we didn't know what's going to happen. You know, don't, don't get complacent. You don't know what's going to be on there. But it turned, out, uh, um, it turned out there was only criminals, mostly Russians, a few, like maybe one Iraqi, one 
one Iranian, and they were smuggling oil. They weren't supposed to because of what happened in the Gulf War. And, you know, we got on the news, and they said Navy SEALs took this down. But, but I mean, the takedown was, it was, it was basically like a, a training op, and guys were grabbing kitchen knives, like, oh, these are weapons. And I remember someone mule-kicked, like, a cabinet with dishes in it. He's like, hey, real-world breach. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a breach. And then we brought it into Oman. We stared at that. I have pictures of, you know, the, the balaclava and the MP5 because we're just cool guys. And we took that down, and that was... um. That was a mission we did on the Kennedy. This is this is the Millennium in 2000. Um, went to a cruiser, like I was saying. Cruiser, Navy cruisers are named after cities. Distinguished Americans and and uh, famous battles. You got there's the there's the um, they're like cruisers are sea and CG is cruiser guided. So you got the Gettysburg, the Shiloh, Normandy, Antietam. We run the Monterey, named after Monterey, <laughs> named after cities, and then and then submarines. Uh, submarines are cool. I, I've been on them a couple times, uh, barely underway on them. Those things are uh, tight, tight quarters, very, very tight quarters. That One of the jokes they have about submarines is, yeah, the Navy's awesome. A hundred sailors go down and 50 couples come back because they go underway for so long. It's like a prison sentence. But uh, they're awesome, and they, they, uh, they can carry more firepower than has ever been launched in war those are part of our deterrent they're they're out there one thing i like and they're named after like sea creatures then they're also named after admirals and presidents cities and states things like that um sea creatures are kind of cool you got some cool ones out there the, this is something i knew from studying you know we have to take tests to advance i learned the very first submersible the very first submarine was called the the turtle and it was deployed in 1775 so that's before we're even a country and then you had to Let's see, the first nuclear-powered sub was the USS Nautilus, which the first nuclear-powered sub, the first submarine in the history of the world to travel under the North Pole, which I'm sure that feels shady because not only are you locked in in this coffin, you're going under the North Pole, and that's pretty dope because at least if we get out, we're at the North Pole. Uh, the, let's see, the USS Growler, which is a cool sub. That's actually, it's actually in New York at the Intrepid. So the Growler is up there. That's, um, that's pretty cool. It's, 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 it's up there. Um, there's, here's a cool one. So the submarine is SS and there's SSBN, which is a subsurface nuclear ballistic or ballistic nuclear. And there's one of them that's named after a general, it's SSBN 601 named the Robert E. Lee. And that's the only ship named after Robert E. Lee because he was Confederate, but they have it. So it's only a matter of time before we change that because someone's going to be deeply offended. Um, we have other ones that, too, uh, who, God knows where it's going to go with the new woke Navy, but we have subs called the Hamilton, the Grant, the Jefferson, John Adams, Monroe. There's one called the Stonewall Jackson, another Confederate. I think there's only four ships, maybe. i got to look that up, named after Confederates. And then the ones named after the state. There's uh, the Alaska, Tennessee, West Virginia, Kentucky, Maryland. There's one, the USS Alabama. That's the, the one that was depicted in uh, Crimson Tide, Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, awesome movie. They were both right, by the way. And then there's um, Alexandria, Annapolis, the Boise, Charlotte, Hampton, named after cities. So uh, now these ships are all, they're all comprised of sailors, and every sailor has different jobs. So the Navy has jobs that you need to go to. So I mentioned like there's hull technicians, there's damage controlmen, quartermasters, people that steer the ship, stuff like this. Um, so once you finish boot camp, they're going to send you to what we call an A school. And an A school is, is uh, I think in the Army, it's a military occupational specialty, an MOS, and it's what your job is. So in A school, you go to after boot camp. If you're going to join the Navy, if you're a young guy, a young woman, young girl, and you're going to go to the Navy, make sure you get it in writing that you go to an A school because if you do not, you're what's called, uh, and it might sound funny, it's called an undesignated seaman. 
That sounds funny. This shit ain't funny. It means you don't have a job. You're going out to the fleet, and you're going to be chipping paint and then painting over rust and chipping more paint. But A school is something after boot camp. It's around different places in the Navy. A lot of it's in Great Lakes, Illinois, where boot camp is, San Diego, Pensacola, places where there's Navy bases or where it makes sense. It's about 17 weeks, um, and uh, they kind of did shorten it because a lot of school training was there, but the Navy was learning that people are getting most of their most of their work done on, on what we call OJT, uh, on-the-job training. You're going to learn from your senior petty officers and your chiefs. Uh, and then there's another school that's more advanced training called C School. That's about 26 weeks, 26 weeks long. It usually comes after. It can be after A School or after time on a ship. You get more advanced. So we're talking like mechanics on planes and radar, sonar, stuff like that. And then... Um, um, missile systems, and you go to C school, you have to give a certain amount of time to the Navy. I went to A school in Millington, Tennessee, which is right outside of Memphis. I think they closed it down. They closed most of it down for A school anyway. They still have some stuff there, like some of the detailers are there. But I went to Millington, Tennessee after boot camp. Um, I mentioned the bus ride that we took to Millington. The guys from my division and other divisions in boot camp from Great Lakes, Illinois, got a bus to Millington, Tennessee, we checked in, but we got weekends off. We're out of boot camp. We're fresh, and we went to Beale Street. I mentioned my friend. Uh, this is in my book, The Operator, but in case you haven't read it, I will tell you my first experience out in town on Beale Street, which, if you've never been, is a pretty good time. You know, Elvis Presley and stuff and really good music. We went out there, and we, we drank quite a bit, and I remember sitting on a bench with my friend Sean Tofts. I'd mentioned him before. I'm going to get him on the podcast. I remember sitting there thinking we're in the Navy, but for some reason we're in Memphis, and we're outside, and this, this dude in... This dude was over there, and he's uh, outside his restaurant with, with some of his people he worked with. We kind of come to, and I look over at Sean, and the guy is he's, he's just disapproving looking at these two dudes. And, and I, 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 I sort of come to, and I can hear him talking. He's talking to his associates. He goes, yeah, and they're just sitting there. And he's staring at us, and Sean goes, Bleh. and he sort of pukes on, like this puke spit in front of him. And I hear the guy go, oh, that was nice. <laughs> so that was our... Um, that was our little bit of the one weekend of liberty we got at our short A school. But we sort of got introduced to the Navy there because all the guys we went to, Sean and I, we, we had a little bit of time learning how to sew, learning how to pack a few things with parachute riggers, aircrew survival equipment. But some of our guys are stuck there. And like their A school, which can be, whatever, 17 weeks long, they, they don't always class up, so they have to do some of these brand new sailors. They, they did, there's a thing that they, the recruiter doesn't tell you about called mess cranking. And mess cranking is serving food. Sailors got to eat. You're serving food. You're running boxes. You're doing something. But you're working a solid 19-hour day. One of our friends was there, a redhead dude I remember from my, from my boot camp that I saw. And it looked like he had seen a ghost. It looked like he was a zombie. He'd been mess cranking for weeks, and he wanted to kill himself. So mess cranking is a job that they force you to do. In the Navy, see, the way the Navy works is um, you work your job. And the Navy technically, like I'm talking, when you're on your ship in, in port, you're going to work a 9 to 12 hour day. You're working 9 to 12 hours. At sea you're working 16 to 17 hours. And on both of those you have to stand at least 4 hours a watch. So the Navy's working their butts off. But if you're a new guy like E4 and below, you're going to get a shift at mess cranking. I would actually tell my guys on the ships when I was a, a more like at first I thought it was funny as a young cocky Navy SEAL, but when I got on ships uh, my second third platoon and even at, at at SEAL team 6, I would tell my guys do not fuck with the mess cranks. Don't throw shit at them. Don't talk shit. Those guys are in hell right now, and it sucks. There are people in the Navy that work harder than SEALs. Mess cranking is one of them. Uh, and so the watch standing, though, is it's, it's done in four-hour increments. Zero, like We call it balls, 0, 0, 0, 0, which is midnight, 0, 4, 0, 8, and 
noon or 1200. They stand wash, and that's uh, and that's just um, the way the Navy life works. Navy life's tough. Uh, Navy likes to work. You're always what the watch does is just looks for make sure the ship's running all the time and looks out for you know damage control stuff like I was mentioning earlier, and then. Um, there's stuff that every sealer sailor needs to know. Like the Marines say that every every Marine's a shooter, which is true. Every sailor needs to know stuff. Like they need to know damage control. Like I talked about sinking, they need to know different types of fires. Uh, what could happen on a ship? You know, the Class A fires ordinary. Class B is liquids and gases. Class C fires electrical. There's a Class D, which is metal, and Class K, which is grease. You're gonna find in a kitchen, and there are different ways you can do stuff. I remember going through breaching courses where like you're you're using saws and explosive doors started on fire we had a dc2 who was a navy seal i'll never forget when he when we, a door started on fire you know we can't send the guys in he pulled out baking soda chucked it out of the whole door was out it's like wow some damage control shit navy cool um so people need to know stuff too there's uh there's a, a famous carrier there was a problem on the uss forestall which is a which is a they actually use this now in training. The U.S. Forest Dog got the nickname the Forest Fire because there was a bad fire on the ship. In uh, it was in 1967, July 1967. The Forest Dog was supporting operations in what's called the Gulf of Tonkin. And if you notice Tonkin and 1967, that's the, basically how we got ourselves into Vietnam War. Um, and one day they they were they were bombing and hitting stuff. One of the newer weapons they had was a five inch rocket called a Zuni rocket, and they were notorious for being unstable. And there was like safety pins that didn't always work. And um, there was a cocky young lieutenant on the ship who was an aviator. His name was John McCain, and he was on there and he was involved in this fire. Something happened with I wasn't there. Obviously, 1967. This is uh, uh, nine years before I was born. But something happened on there, and one of the Zuni rockets fired on the on the deck of the ship. And so it fires. It hits something else. There's a, a big fire. The damage controlmen are there, and so they bring a te- team out knowing there's other people, like I was saying, running the carriers, and there's pilots. They need to get out. So they're trying to keep these rockets that hadn't exploded. Well, one of the rockets exploded. They're trying to keep them cool because there's other ordnance out there on the flight deck. And... I guess something happened. There's different ways you fight fires. There's uh, PKP, uh, PKP. There's um, uh, AFFF. There's water, foam, all that stuff. And I guess what some of these guys were doing was they would hit it with the foam, but other guys would hit it with the water, and that's washing the foam off the side. And they're trying. They have like a uh, uh, they have about a ten minute window where they can keep it safe to get the pilots out. But something bad happened. It exploded, and it killed 134 sailors. And so that's become a staple of why you need to know about about fires in the Navy, why they're, they're, they can be catastrophic. So, so those are uh, some of the stuff that happens. And then in the Navy, there's, there's different designators and stuff that you can get. Those are the pins that you see. Like I was a Navy SEAL, the special uh, designation for special operations, the Trident. Uh, there's aviation pins. There's surface pins, subsurface pins, explosive ordnance disposal pins that people wear. Um, SWIC. Special Warfare Combatant Crewman, the guys that drive our boats. And they were actually, they, there's, a, the, there's a movie called Active Valor that I mentioned earlier. The coolest part of the movie isn't even Navy SEALs. It's the SWIC guys when they come around with a minigun. Like I mentioned earlier, the Gatling guns that shoot a couple thousand rounds a minute. Very cool. And Active Valor, there's Fleet Marine Force, and then there's divers. So those are the pins that you see. These are the jobs that are in the Navy. And uh, these are the people that make it run, divers, um, um, all the guys that make the ship run, damage control, stuff like that. And then, and then I kind of want to get into what the Navy does big picture because I'm getting into why Navy SEALs are on ships. This is um, um, 
the, there's a triage. There's sea power involved. The Navy is usually in the middle of it because we have the finest Navy in the world. And what the Navy does is we provide what's called forward defense. We have a mobile airfield forward defense. We're able to train with our units because of our mobility, and we call that alliance solidarity. And because these ships are so badass and you can't see the submarines and we know there's destroyers, that's called deterrence. So we have allies. We're going to deter you. At least that's what you used to do. I'm not sure what's happening now. Um, and that's why I think the Navy's so cool because the Navy's got pretty much all of this. The Navy has the best Navy in the world. The Navy has the best infantry in the world. The Marines are out there. The Navies have the best Air Force in the world, and I can prove it because you've seen Top Gun, both of them, and they're awesome. <laughs> Um, so that is what the Navy does. And my A school technically was basic underwater demolition seal training or buds. And that's the one that's in the movie. So that is basically what the Navy does. And my A school was basic underwater demolition seal training or buds. That's the one you've probably seen in movies or on TV or in books. It's a 26 week course that is in Southern California. Very, very difficult, but because you don't, I guess, get a designator can, can, Considered an A school. So it's an A school, then you go through advanced training after that. You do get assigned to a SEAL team. So I'm going to be able to talk about what it was like when I went through, because they always change stuff because we're always evolving. You know, like all good frogmen say, it was, it was definitely harder when I went through because my buzz class was the last hard class. But I'll get into that. The SEAL teams would get assigned to, and then um, what our jobs are to assist the Navy, to assist the armed forces and, and basically our allies with uh, worldwide missions. And we've been used before and how we do it and whatnot. So I'm going to start that the next podcast up with some good stories like that. Hopefully you haven't heard them. But for now, just remember, you are never out of the fight. I'll see you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.